0: Welcome to the Abbott Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. So we've been talking about the table and the table that God has prepared for us. That's a good table, isn't it? It's full of all kinds of good things. Today it's full of water. Water's good for you, right? Better than muffins, apparently. Somebody told me that last week. Somebody also noticed that I said I didn't like scones one week, and then the other week, they pointed out the fact that I was using one of the scones in relationship to my wife, in context with my wife. And I didn't put those two things together, but thanks, ladies in the one, two, three, fourth row down. (laughs) Uh, Good observation. Thanks. There's no correlation to me liking scones or my wife. Um, I love my wife. She's fantastic. So what we're talking about is we're just unpacking, there's a really cool passage in Psalms 23 that God's our shepherd, the Lord's our shepherd, and in him we we lack nothing. And he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, all these places, but he's prepared a table for us, even in the presence of our enemies. God has prepared something good for you. Then we talked about Jacob and Esau, and how Esau traded his birthright for simply a bowl of stew. What he honestly could get on his own he traded the goodness of god and the fullness of what god had prepared for him his birthright and the blessing really for what he could earn on his own he didn't want what god had provided for him he really wanted what he could provide for himself last week we talked about that we can give up our position at the table that no longer we just go you know what i don't want to sit here anymore and why do we not want to sit here we decide i don't want to sit here because i'm offended So I give up my spot to eat at the master's table and to get all the best that he has for me to go then eat what I then think is my birthright, which is just bitterness, the bowl of stew that is what the enemy has prepared for me. Uh Uh-oh. That was a good message if you wanted to go back and get it. You can't. Just give you the highlight reel right now. Today, we're going to talk about drawing near to God. What is... Like, what is so good about this table that he prepared for us? What's so good about it? And then how do we get the best from it? How do we get the most out of what God has prepared for us? We obviously know it's not going to be in pursuing sin. Sin is a distraction. It's a drawing away certain sins. Actually, we're giving up our seat at the table. We're actually saying, hey, somebody else can sit there and eat my food. Instead of me. But when we decide we want all of what God has for us, we need, to, we need to do what the Bible says here in James chapter 4, 7. It says, submit yourselves to God, then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There is a submission and a resisting in our intimacy, our relationship with God. God, I'm submitted to you. I want everything you have from the table. In fact, I don't think anything else will be better for me than to just get what you've provided for me. And I resist the devil and what he's prepared for me. And he'll flee from us. And it says in verse eight, come near to God. And this word means draw near. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Ooh, I want some of that. God, I want draw near to God. and He'll draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. is not that just interesting how this talks about double-mindedness. Oh, God, I want some of your presence, but then I want some of the sin in my life too. There's even more. I want you to look at this. Put up this pendulum principle, this little image here. There's more than just the external worldly sin. You know that there is, there is a religious kind of sin that we can be a part of too? You're like, oh no, he's coming after me. I'm coming after you right now. (laughs) There's a place in the church where we can live in just dead religion. How about when we think judging others is our job? And we do it in the name of Jesus. We say, oh yeah, this is what God called me to do, is judge everybody else and make sure they measure up. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. And sometimes we actually think that just reading our Bible makes us more spiritual. I go to more prayer things than you, and a competitive spirit begins to jump into our religiosity. And so I get, I'm better than you Christian type thingy going on. And so actually I'm competing with you. How about even churches? We go, I'm a better church than that church. Like, really? Does that really matter? does that produce kingdom fruit in our life? You can say it, no, it doesn't. Even sometimes we go, I got to get up every single morning and I got to pray for X number of amount of hours every morning. And I also have to, uh, you know, read my Bible for this much time. And does that make you more spiritual? Does that actually cause you to be connected to the Lord? Sometimes, It can, but it doesn't necessarily, okay? It's not that those activities can't be good. They can be, but they can also be pulled over into this space that is really dead works. It's religious activity that is not coming from a place of faith, a place of intimacy with God, and therefore producing righteous lifestyle, rightness, or intimacy with God, okay? This is what I want you to see is that that actually creates energy, so that when you and I begin to move towards the world or we begin to move towards religious behaviors that are not coming from our belief system, it's like a pendulum that pulls, it's pulled up and it creates energy. We do this with our children. Oh, we love to do this with our kids. We love to get them to behave right. We love to push them way over here and just get them to be right. Oh man, if you can just measure up and do all the right stuff and then, then you'll look good. And then, you know, basically, I'm gonna control you with fear of punishment. If you don't behave like a Christian should or like a Christian kid should, then I'm gonna gonna thump you when we get home. So we start pushing them way up here. What happens when those kids get cut loose from your presence? Party! I was a youth pastor for quite some time. I've watched this happen over and over and over again. This is pretty much zero on the fun scale, if you're wondering, for parents. Some of y'all live this dream. Some of you grew up in this dream, okay? (laughs) Some of you are living this nightmare right now. Okay, praise the Lord. (laughs) Sorry for you. But you don't have, you get to choose. It isn't about your environment, it's about your choice. How you serve Jesus is not about your environment. It's about your choice. You can grow up in the world. I grew up in the world. But I got saved and I'm not of the world. So I don't want to live there. So I made a choice. I'm not going to live there. Even though my whole family was all in sin and they shunned me and cast me out like I was the devil. I was just loving Jesus. But, I, but the thing we don't want to do is move people into this religious behavior. Say, you got to do this or you're not. You're not gonna measure up. You know what we're really afraid of, parents? We're afraid of other people thinking bad about us. Then we're also afraid of if we're gonna be a failure or not. If my kid doesn't really love Jesus, what am I gonna do? And then we like clamp down, we get afraid, and we like we just we try to beat them into being Christians. We actually model for them something that has nothing to do with intimacy with God. It says, draw near to me. Why does it say draw near to me? Because God's a person. He's a person. He's not a place or a thing. And he's certainly not an animal, okay? He's a person. And he says, draw near to me. And in fact, you know, sometimes we get confused about what we're drawing near to. And we think about, oh, I'm drawing near to, you know, the sanctuary. Like the building. Like we start to think that this building has something spiritual about it. I promise you, it doesn't. If it has anything, it's got demons. Look, we got to fix it. I know. I know what kind of demons are living in this thing. All right? Something's in that projector. Right, Joel? Come on. Come on. Okay. (laughs) Come out in the name of Jesus. But the building... We sometimes refer to the building or even this space as like the sanctuary. Oh, we got to be holy when we're in the sanctuary of God. Oh, my gosh. Wait a second. Okay, the sanctuary, the Bible says, actually, that you are God's sanctuary, not the building. And, you know, the word sanctuary really is kind of the same word for tabernacle. And this means the holy place or the place that is set apart. Do you know that God set you apart? So you could be the sanctuary. So like a a person who doesn't know Christ and has never experienced the presence of God, they can get confused really easy because they walk into the church and then they feel the presence of God. You know why? Because the sanctuary is there. Many sanctuaries are there. It's all of you. It's me. We're here. And the more we cultivate the presence of God in our life, the more power people experience and feel because I bring the sanctuary and you bring it too. And then it just begins to multiply, and then we all start to lift up our Heavenly Father, and then it just starts to spill out and overflow, and then the amazing things start to happen. Miracles start to happen. Healing starts to happen. Transformations, salvations, cool things happen when we collectively work together and we worship the one living God together. But it isn't about the building. It's about the sanctuary, and you are his sanctuary, his holy place, the place where the holy of holies dwells. This is the, where the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament would come, the fullness of his presence would come down into the holy of holies. That's you. But that's not a thing. He's a person. And, and intimacy, all of the solution, to all of this, and just to live in this center place, this abiding relationship, it's a relationship with him. It's not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's not measuring up to a bunch of stuff. Do you know when I was a kid, I'd get in trouble, and my mom would just lock me out of the house. <laughs> not very often. My mom was pretty good. But I had a neighbor friend. Her mom was, like, serious. Every day, she, she would lock the house. She would, like, clean the house, lock the door, And she would not let her child back in the home in the summertime until she got home from work, locked out. Because she wanted the house to be clean when she came back. (laughs) So he'd be at my house eating a sandwich because he was hungry around lunchtime. I'm like, hey, what's up? He's like, I can't get in my house again. I'm like, it's okay, bud. so sad we're laughing at him. He's, it was so sad, okay. A lot of times we think about God this way. Is that, oh, he's not gonna let me into his sanctuary, his holy place, if I don't do all the Ten Commandments and get it all right and measure it all up. Because if I get it all measured up and I get it all right, oh, then I can get into the presence. He'll let me in sometimes when I'm clean enough. When I've washed my shoes and I'm not gonna dirty up his sanctuary. This isn't the God we serve. That wrong conception of God our perception of God will cause you to not press in. It'll cause you to just try to live with religious behaviors that don't do anything for you. But if you... But if you shift what you see and you shift how you see God, it'll change the way you engage him. Because if he's a thing, you kind of, it's a bunch of rules and stuff, and he's a bunch of things that you have to measure up to so you can barely get in, but you can't really know him, then you're not going to really press in. But when you see him as a person, see, God is three parts, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three parts, fully God. Not one part should be neglected. See, Jesus said, I'm the Father, and the Father's in me, and I'm in the Father, and if you're in me, you're in him too. And he says, listen, I got to go so that you can experience the third part of me, my friend, the Holy Spirit, who's me. It's weird. So it really is biblical to talk about yourself in the third person. If you're God, I guess, but all right. (laughs) Stay with me, stay with me. The Holy Spirit, he says, you need the Holy Spirit. He's going to come live inside you. You actually need him, because he's going to, I'm going to make you my sanctuary. What? Because they understood what the tabernacle was. They understood what that meant. They're like, what? Holy of holies, he's coming to live in me? Holy? The Holy Spirit? I'm going to get to know you personally? So when you see God as a personal relationship, it changes the way you engage. Oh, Holy Spirit, you're my friend. I want to know you. And from that place, I want to experience you. See, he's a person. He desires to be understood, loved, respected, valued, seen, heard, thought of, spent time with like everybody else. Because he's a person and we're made in his image to be like him. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us come boldly into the throne of our gracious God. There we we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You see what we get when we press into the table, when we press into the relationship with the Lord, is we get mercy. He's our gracious God. We find grace, we find help when we need it most. You find mercy when you come boldly into the throne, which is the forgiveness for all your sins, by the way. He's like, you don't have to clean up to press in. You don't have to clean up to press in. My mercy's covered that. When you press in, mercy goes up. You press in, listen, you don't have to be powerful and do everything right and be perfect. You just have to press in and I'll make you perfect. You don't have to, you don't have, to be, have it all together. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know any answers. You just have to press in and I'll pour out wisdom on you. I'll pour out my grace, my unmerited, unearned favor on, in, and through your life. But it's about relationship, because he's a person. It's not just I go to church and I measure up and I sing songs. No, you press in to relationship, to a person. So when we look at this, this, this principle, let's go back to this pendulum thing again. When we look at this, when we look in this space, we think about this. Hebrews 7:18 says, "The former regulations set aside because it was weak and useless." Talking about the law, verse 19: "For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope introduced." It's introduced by which we draw near to God. This is amazing. Okay, God is not. Jesus said, "I didn't come to abolish the law; I came to fulfill it." But you have to understand what the law does. It is an exposer. exposes you. It exposes God. It says he's God. You're not. But it don't help you. It does not help you get better. There's a better way. A better way. He wants to introduce you to a better way. I want to introduce you to a better way. You know what his name is? His name is Holy Spirit. I want you to meet him today. He wants to be your friend. He wants to fill you up. And you know how you get to him? Through me, Jesus. I'm not Jesus, I'm speaking as if I am. Third person again, okay? Jesus says, You get him to him through me. I I just did it all. I did all the heavy lifting so you can experience him. But it's to draw, the better way is to draw near to God, not by what you've done or how you measure up, but by what he has done. But don't be mistaken. Sin will shipwreck your faith. Sin will damage this intimacy relationship that you have. Because he's a person. The Holy Spirit is sensitive. He's a person like you and me. If you sin against your spouse, you're going to damage your relationship. I'm not saying you're ending it, right? But you'll damage it. You can hurt it. That's real. But you can damage and hurt your relationship with the Lord. Not permanently. His mercy is permanent. Forgive you everything. But you are going to affect the way you have relationship and intimacy with God if you introduce sin into your life. Do not be mistaken. 1 Timothy 1.19 says, Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their conscience. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. This happens. It's where we think, "Oh, it does." God's grace just covers all sin, and I can just do anything I want. It's all so great. But what happens when we do that is we begin to introduce the motor oil of life into our life. Oh, sin doesn't matter. It's no big deal. But you're pouring it into your vessel. You're the you're the what? You're the sanctuary. Is sin designed to be in the sanctuary? Just say no. <laughs> Please, nobody say yes. I'm asking all these questions now and I'm setting people up. No, the answer is no. But the more we do, the more we begin to cloud. This is why Corinthians says, hey. Get rid of all that sin that, so, that weighs you down and so easily entangles you. You know, it's interesting, even in this example, it rests on top to cover up, press down. And like, then guess what we see and we think about? We feel this in our life. Even if we have all this other experience and power and presence in our life, we feel the weight of this sin just pressing us down. It's covering us up it's covering up the glory in our life how do we get how do we get free of this oh i just got to read my bible some more i got to like do some more jesus gymnastics <laughs> right jesus jacks i'm <laughs> super good at jumping jacks you can tell been training for a long time Or we get discouraged and we go, oh, it doesn't matter, forget it, I'm just going to the club, I'm going to just drink, I'm going to go eat whatever I want, do whatever I want, see whoever I want, be with whoever I want, say whatever I want, watch whatever I want. And we just start pouring more and more motor motor oil into the sanctuary. Our vessel. One of the things that happens is when we do this, we start to, we start to feel shame and like, oh, no, I don't measure up. I'm no longer good enough, and I, I'm, not, I'm not worthy anymore. And, and The enemy loves this because then he just gets us paralyzed, and we, we won't press in, and we, we, we just get stuck. And every time we try, we, instead we go to religious behavior to sort of cover it up, and we show up to church on Sunday, and then we go back out messing everything up all week. James says, in James chapter 3, it says, Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. That type of lifestyle is of the enemy, not of the spirit of God. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Dang. See, 1 John 5.21 says this. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Just think about that for a second. As we pour this sin and this stuff into our life, we're giving up a place at the table or in our heart, in our vessel for something that only God's place is meant for. And we're, we're literally just blocking ourselves off and we're putting poison into our vessel. But God desires that we operate in this abiding, this resting place. Let's go back to the, to the pendulum again. You know, in John chapter 15, we're not going to go there, but just keep it up on this here. Is, it says that we're called for this abiding relationship, that I am in the vine, and, and, and when I rest in that vine, I can do all things, really. This is a summary of another passage that through Christ who gives me strength, okay? But uh, John 15 talks about abiding in the vine, and everything we want comes from that abiding relationship with him. And outside of that, we can do nothing. We wither away. You should read it, John 15. It's a powerful passage about the abiding relationship. But look at this. We started this series talking about rest. Your relationship with God does not come in religious behaviors or worldly activity. It comes in a place of rest where there's no potential energy for you to be blown around or you know, just knocked all over the place, you get rooted and grounded. And, and when you bring this pendulum to the middle where you're resting in God and no longer trying to achieve or strive, instead you're pressing in in intimacy and experiencing his presence, that's where the real kingdom life is. It's not in all this swinging back and forth. But you and I have to, we have to, we have to desire this pressing in Instead of measuring up like that really needs to become our new mode and, and so how do we draw close look he's a person he's a relationship so we we start to spend time with him. this is what your prayer life looks like it's just time and prayer. God I want to know you not just a bunch of prayer prayers about You know, I want this and I want that and I need this and I need that. But this is why I encourage people to get baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. Because the Holy Spirit gave you a gift and it's himself. And it's it's him praying in and through your life. I kind of think he can pray a little better than me. That's what that whole thing is all about. When you and I get baptized in the Holy Spirit, we're identifying the Holy Spirit is God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, your God. Baptism. Now I receive the fullness of what He has for me. Well, everybody gets a prayer language, a prayer gift. And when you start to pray, and the Holy Spirit, He starts to fill you up. Worship. Not just worship, singing songs, but connecting in relationship. We start doing that. We start pouring in. Even Bible time, reading your word, but you're reading in relationship and revelation. God, will you change me? You transform me. Instead of trying to get rid of all of the sin, we, we need to get filled from within, right? That was a rhyme. Did you hear that? Yeah, I didn't do that on purpose. So God, will you fill me up? God, will you pour out your presence in my life? Will you just fill me up to where all the other things just begin to work their way out? Holy Spirit, will you just do it? Will you just touch me? I don't need to measure up. I need to get filled up. I don't need to measure up. I need to get filled up. Come on. I don't need to measure up. I need to get filled up with your presence. And guess what? He purifies you white as snow. Boom. That's how you drive sin out of your life. It's about what you see. It's about what you put your eyes on. It's about what you press into. (laughs) It's too overflowing. shaking it out. Come on. I want all that you have for me. That's why I want the fullness of your word, God. I believe every word. See, if I read the Bible and I don't believe it's all true, then I just read it for words and it's head knowledge and I use it to fight and argue. I, doesn't, I don't use it for love relationship. I don't find intimacy. I find dead religion. But man, if I read his word and I believe it's the authority given to me by God and it's full, and then I make a change, I make a shift, and I move towards him, then my life just begins to overflow with newness and goodness. And I press in and it changes something. And when I go in and I engage in worship and I open my whole heart up and I say, God, just fill me up. Just pour out your spirit. I want to know you. And I sing love songs to my God and my creator. He begins to fill me up to overflowing and brimming over with new wine, new life, new revelation. And guess what happens? When I focus on those things, the sin gets driven out. Because that's my real life. I might There might be this war waging along, but the war only wages when I put it in. When I dump it in and I participate and I go, oh, I just need to eat of this bowl over here because it's going to be good for me. I want something now. No, God, I want what you want. I'm not going to let offense take my spot at the table. I'm not going to let bitterness steal my birthright. God, I'm going to press in and I'm going to trust you with all the relationships with my life, with my identity, with who I'm supposed to be. I'm going to trust you with my job and my family, and my kids and my finances. I'm going to trust you with everything that really is yours to begin with and I'm just going to press in. Sometimes we want to get it right so bad so we can be right. God, can I just get my life right and get all the sin on my life so that I can be worthy to come into your presence? You'll never be worthy but you'll always be worth it. You'll never be worthy, but you'll always be worth it because that's why he died for you is you were worth it. As a dirty sinner full of motor oil when the whole thing was full of motor oil, he loved you and loved you enough that he just poured out his son and just poured out his goodness inside your life to change it all. You don't have to get right to be right. It's not about being measure, measuring up. It's about getting filled up. 2 Corinthians 4, but, 4, 7 says this, but we have this in treasure. We have this treasure in jars of clay or earthen vessels. And I want you to imagine this as your jar of clay. This is your vessel. To show that all, this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, But not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe therefore. I have spoken with that same spirit of faith. We also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. And all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And therefore we do not lose heart Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what on is, what is not seen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. And God, I fix my eyes on the things of the Spirit. I fix my eyes on your promise. I fix my eyes on you, Jesus, my permanent, and lasting relationship. God, I draw near to you, and you draw near to me. And the table fills up when you draw near to him. Your vessel fills up when you draw near to him. You want solutions for your problems in life? Press in. You need power to overcome your circumstances? Press in. You need mercy for your sin? Press in. Come on, you need grace to minister to others, to see them experience the glory of God through your life, press in. I've been in meetings where the power of God has fallen so strong, I can't even stand. Press in. It's just about people cultivating his presence, seeing him and wanting him more than anything else, more than the bowl, more than the measuring up, God, I just want you. Will you close your eyes with me for a moment? If you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you're telling me today, I need to press in. I need an encounter with Jesus. I need to know you, Jesus. Father, we bless your name. God, we love you. There's none like you. God, we lift our hearts, our lives to you. God, and we pray that your Holy Spirit will come. Meet us and and just fill us up. We press into your, into, into your presence, God. We press into your relationship with you and we just throw all things, all distractions away and we just worship you wholeheartedly right now in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.